Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Temporary Admission, the podcast where we speak to some of the art industry's most influential people to find out how they got to where they are today, what they've been up to recently, and what's next. Today, we're going to be joined by a friend of mine, Ben Godsill. Ben, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you. Great for my ego. Good to be here. (laughs) It's good to hear. Now, um, Ben, look, I know 99% of people listening to this podcast will most likely already know um, who you are and what you do. But for those that don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you're up to at the moment? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm uh, in the most basic sense of things. I'm an art advisor, which means I represent buyers and collectors of contemporary art. And I work with a handful of clients um, based mostly here in the U.S., very few in New York. um, And I basically assemble their collections for them and oversee all aspects from acquisition through installation and and cataloging and that sort of thing. I have a small firm based here in New York. I've been doing it for about five years. And my clients are based kind of all over the states. very few in New York, a couple here, mostly on the West Coast in Los Angeles and Seattle and San Francisco and Dallas and Chicago, I guess. Okay, great. Um, that sums it up nicely and kind of leads me on to my next question, which I feel everyone seems to be asking at the moment, so I definitely will too. But I think it would be interesting to know with everything that's happened over the last 18 months, what's changed for you? How have you found it? I mean, it kind of sucked because I got into this because I like standing in front of things. And I think I'm probably at my best when I'm with a client in front of an artwork and am explaining it or like telling them why it turns me on and why I think it might turn them on. And when it was reduced to a video game, like that was kind of shite. But, you know, listen, I wasn't flying around the world, which is a big part of my job and a big expense factor for me. So I made a lot more money. So I guess that was kind of cool. But, you know, I like I don't just love art, which I do and love my clients, but I love the art world. And I should say that's why I have my own podcast called Nota Bene, which is really about the art world. And so I miss that kind of coming together and seeing people and chatting over dinners and exchanging information. Um, And I realized that a whole large chunk of my social life, you know, my friends were in this world. A lot of my best friends live in in London and Germany and, and not New York. So it was a bummer not to see them and not to stand in front of art. It was just kind of reduced to fucking like, you know, a video game, like I said, like clicking, but the money was good, good. So that's cool. I mean, I guess every cloud is a silver lining. And in London, it definitely feels like things are um, starting to go a little bit back to normal, I think I would say. Yeah, I mean, I was just in London, I don't know, just before Basel, the week before Basel, installing some things in a friend's uh, office there. And uh, yeah, London was like, the masks were like, were frowned upon, man. It felt like the feel like the pandemic was really over. I mean, I was I was just kind of central, like basically just in Mayfair. But um, from that point, point of view, it seemed like things were back up and running. Yeah, definitely. I think with Basel, it felt like everyone, because we'd not been at art fairs for so long now, people were a little bit apprehensive to see kind of how it was going to play out, I guess. But as soon as everyone got there, it definitely felt 
everything was just back to normal and everyone was pretty happy to be there, I think. Yeah, it, it felt great, but it felt like it felt to me, other than wearing masks, like a normal art fair. Um, like you said, a little quieter, but you know, it's sort of like it kind of erased some of the chum, some of the people just walking around. I think, you know, got to the point where people, you know, a certain class of people from the UK and from uh, and from Europe itself would just kind of pop over and maybe not even be buying. And it seemed to have erased some of that. So the aisles were easy to navigate. You could really talk to the people you needed to talk to in terms of the dealers and their directors on the booth in order to transact. So like, I loved it. I just, I was so happy to be back in Europe after two years. I mean, kind of a shame that it was Switzerland and not Italy, but there you go. Yeah, very true. But you're coming to Freeze, right, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm coming in a little bit early because uh, one of my clients supported Anarchy Yee's presentation in the Tate Turbine Hall. So I'm coming in a few days early to check that out and for some attendant events. And I'll be there, yeah, for the first part of the week and and very excited. I had a lot of uh, a couple of American clients that came with me to Basel. It looks like I'll be rolling solo in London, but um, that's all for the better because really I used to work in an auction house and I have a lot of very close friends and I used to spend a ton of time in London. So it'll be good not just to buy some art, but to, to be able to see them and hang out and and just kind of meander around the streets of London. Nice. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure we'll see it freeze is probably a given, but leading on to the next question I wanted to touch on was kind of how people get into the art industry. Did you always want to work in the art industry? Was it something that, you know, you had a hankering for, for a young age, or was it something you just fell into? Oh God, mate. Not, not at all. I mean, I liked art classes in, in primary and, and really through secondary school very much. And I, w- I was lucky enough to go to the type of school that had a great art program and I enjoyed painting, although I was terrible at it. Um, and, and, and frankly just enjoyed it more than kind of sit down types of classroom learning. But I didn't realize uh, until really later in my kind of mid twenties that art was a professional possibility that people could work in museums. I don't come from a background where people that I knew collected art per se, um, although I did grow up going to museums. Um, and uh, after college, I, I intended to work in Hollywood, but like found the people there were just really terrible. Um, and um, and it was later on in graduate school uh, when I was writing about theory that I learned that there were things called curators. And I had no, I mean, I knew that this existed, but I had no conception that one could become one. Um, And uh, through a fortunate uh, series of accidents, not the least of all being a mediocre white man, I was able to parlay my academic background, really writing very dense, dense theory into realizing that I was more interested in and better at dealing with people and objects than I was with words. And uh, the Whitney Museum runs a cool program called the Independent Study Program that's in its 42nd year, maybe. Um, and they, they bring in people that are potential curators, uh, artists, uh, mostly postgraduate artists, um, and, uh, and art historians. And you kind of meet in this yeshiva-like kind of uh, group twice a week to really read super dense texts. And, and, and from that, was able to uh, secure a position uh, upon completing that program at the New Museum here in New York uh, to work as a curator. But no, I had no idea this was going to end up doing. Like, total series of happy accidents. Yeah, that just feels so rare in the art industry, I think. I mean... Most people you speak to have either come from families where they've collected art or they have studied art at university or, you know, they've known from a young age that they've this is the industry that they've wanted to be in and their family has also been in the industry for a long time. And that definitely wasn't the case with me. I think I, if I look back, it's probably when I first started to become interested in art was when uh, one of my closest friends, actually, she studied contemporary art and we began going to exhibitions together. We used to kind of go on weekends away and um, look at kind of different exhibitions that were on across kind of Europe, which was kind of our thing. It was our, our thing we used to do as two friends. And from that moment on, I really started to kind of get, I'd say, the art bug. 
uh, a little bit of an addiction around kind of going to galleries and seeing what's on. And that's kind of how I knew from that point I wanted to kind of turn my interest in art into my job, which is when I started at um, Queen's here in London. And I guess you could say that it's the less glamorous side of the art world because it's the logistics side. Um, but I actually don't think that's the case. I think it's actually still quite exciting because you you get to see an amazing amount of works that you would never get to see. And actually like solving some of the complex logistical challenges are sometimes actually pretty interesting. So yeah, I quite like it. But was art something you studied or, or tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, as with everything, um, you know, we're seeing increased professionalization. But, um, you know, while while I did go to the Whitney program, I'm so happy I didn't go to a, a quote unquote curatorial studies program because I have no idea what the fuck they teach in those things. Uh, you have goldsmiths in the UK and Bard here, and it it seems to end up with very dreary exhibition programs as the end result. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just but but it's it's. I mean, I always loved art. I just didn't know that it was a professional possibility. And the fact that I'm able to do this for a living, I mean, I mean, not to sound overly earnest, but it makes me want to pinch myself that this is my job is to help people acquire art. Um, is like pretty killer. Yeah, it's certainly pretty cool. I think. I mean, one of the things we wanted to chat about as well was kind of understanding how our guests got to where they are today. So, would it be possible for you to kind of elaborate a little bit more on the kind of process you took to get to where you are now? Again, it was a series of happy accidents. I went to work at the New Museum and was able to curate several exhibitions there and worked first as an assistant, kind of an assistant curator under Richard Flood, who's an old hand in the museum world, um, and was there for the reopening of that building and did that for, I was there for, I guess, half a decade, maybe a couple of years more even. Um, and the problem was that to, to move to the next level, to move, I think I was an associate curator uh, at the end, to kind of move up, I would have had to move to a tertiary city. Um, and nothing against Cleveland, Ohio, or Buffalo, which are amazing cities with great museums that just didn't fit my lifestyle more than anything else. Um, and didn't know what I was going to do. Just kind of uh, basically quit one day, uh, you know, or sort of, sort of forced out, but kind of quit. Um, and uh, and had been had 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 worked with collectors in the past, kind of just informally telling me what to do or doing. Yeah, I had a great Italian uh, friend, Massimo uh, Laro, who has a great space in Umbria, kind of helping him curate some of his existing collection. And through that, met uh, Simone and Michaela Depiri, who at the time were running the Phillips Depiri Auction House, and they basically convinced me to come work for them. I didn't know what that meant. I showed up in an office that was blank and kind of had to teach myself how to go and get gear, how to, how to work in an auction house as a specialist, kind of, you know, trying to make it rain and found myself quite good at it. And it was interesting because, you know, I was a pretty strong curator and I love art and I can write about it and think about it and talk about it. But I really learned what the value of objects were in a, in a somewhat free market, uh, learned, you know, what things were worth and how to structure relatively complex financial transactions and found out that I wasn't quite the hippie I thought I was, that I really enjoyed the adrenaline and the rush of making a big deal. Uh, and it really turned me on um, and spent a few years there and kind of just kind of just maxed out. It was like, I, you know, it was just, you know, it was sort of boring and realized saw how much of the money that I made and I was making the auction house a ton of money was not ending up in my pocket. And I just had my first kid and realized that I really wanted more money in my pocket and uh, was able to uh, join up with a, with a partner, went to go work with a slightly more experienced um, art advisor, Meredith Darrow, a good friend of mine, still worked with her for a couple of years and then uh, was able to hang my own shingle out under curatorial services, which is what I call my business. So it was none of it was planned, but I was able to find a thing in life that really combines the two things I'm best at, which are deal making 
and curating. Uh, and as an art advisor, I think you, you, know, you kind of have to do those two things because when I'm buying art or telling someone to buy art, uh, or to acquire art or put it in their collection, I really need to be responsible. Even if even if it's going to be worth less, I need to be upfront and responsible with the financial ramifications are. Because even if uh, and none of my collectors are buying it as investment, I think it's only fair because even cheap quote unquote cheap contemporary art these days really costs the the same as a mid sized sedan. So I think that's an important kind of important element, and it was great to be able to have both sides of it represented. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like you've got the best of both worlds, which is uh, which is fantastic. But it's probably clear that most people on this podcast, and myself and, and you, we all love art. But do you have the opportunity to collect it, or is that kind of something that you leave your clients to do? Oh, fuck yeah, man! It's an addiction. I mean, how can you see other people, you know, be able to acquire these great things and not want some of your own? I mean, I. Uh, I'm at this point a somewhat voracious collector, probably to you know to my ill regard. I mean, I consider you know, you know, it's it's sort of uh, you know kind of get high on your own supply, right? Um, I talk about how important it is to live contemporary. So you know, I'm in my office now. I'm surrounded by too much art, art on the walls, but also like art in storage. My entire apartment, uh, one of my family has art in it. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm pretty lucky. I mean, that's great. It's, it's like you've got a pretty full office. I'm pretty jealous. What is it that, um, you know, hangs above your desk or what is it that you're looking at right now? I, I'm looking uh, right now at an Ellie Ping painting uh, that's on my wall, uh, a relatively young artist, maybe he's in his 30s, I'm not sure, um, that shows the Ramkin Crucible here in New York. And I think he actually has a show opening this week at some point. I have to be in LA, so I'm going to miss it. Uh, he's a sculptor and a maker of canvases. Um makes really cool stuff. Um, and what else do I have in here? I have a great Kai Christensen Knowles, who's an artist that shows with Lomex Gallery, uh, which is really one of the hotter young galleries here in New York. And, um, oh gosh, what is this thing? Uh, and something else. Uh, I got a Haley Mellon painting uh, in front of me, who's a very good old friend. So I have, I have art all over the office. Um, don't know. I mean, I know what most of it is, but, you know, I, and I have, I have like six or seven outstanding invoices that I promise everyone I'll send to my banker today. Um I got a great David uh, David Rapineau painting, uh, who is a uh, uh, from uh, Queer Thoughts while I was in Basel. Uh, really nice work on paper that I'm excited about. Yeah, so it's endless, and it's you know it's oftentimes not what I'm getting for clients because the price point you know has less zeros on it. Um, but sometimes sometimes there's some overlap, certainly. I mean, I definitely can relate to that. We were both at Basel, obviously, last week. And I remember walking around um, and seeing about 10, maybe 15 paintings in the first 10 minutes that I loved and wanted hanging on my wall. But I mean, immediately, uh, the Keith Haring springs to mind. And there was amazing um, mirrored uh, sculpture from an artist that um, the name uh, forgets me now. But both of which I um, would love to have hanging on my wall. Uh, but suspect as well also a few too many zeros uh, for my liking so might be leaving that one to a later date at the moment yeah yeah i mean i'm actually just this kai, i was thinking back this this kai christensen knowles painting actually i acquired at lista i don't know three or four years ago and at the time uh, i won't go into what the price was but the time was more than i had ever spent on a painting for myself and i was walking around uh with a very close friend and and probably you know one of my best clients and uh, he actually did a little salesmanship he's like come on benjamin you can afford it you can do it pull the trigger uh so the tables were turned so that was kind of fun i bet and, and then um changing tack slightly 
I know that uh, we spoke about this a little bit offline, but the, one of the reasons we were put in touch is because we're starting this podcast here in uh, London and our good friend Jamie and also myself listens to uh, your podcast uh, Nota Bene. So I know you started that not so long ago. Correct me if I'm wrong in the start of the pandemic. So, you know, tell us a little bit more about what drove you to start that because uh, you started it with Nate Freeman, right? Yeah, my buddy Nate, who at the time was uh, the columnist for Wet Paint uh, at Artnet and is now the columnist for uh, the art columnist for Vanity Fair. You know, we were just we were talking about it and like there was so much time in our hands and even even non-pandemic wise as an art advisor, though I'm traveling all the time, like I have free time. Like, you know, it's not like I'm like I'm typing up reports every day. And we just thought it'd be a super fun thing to do. And I, I like to talk and I like to to speak with and interview interesting people. Like it, it provides intellectual stimulation for me. And we thought other people would be interested in hearing it. But it was really like there was no master plan. There is no master plan. We're like, just this will be fun. I had no idea how much fucking work it would be. No, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, just having to, to find guests and, and the, you know, I do a lot of the, the back end work. I mean, it's not really that much work, but I'm just I'm not used to working at a fucking real job. I'm an art advisor. Um, you know, um, it was fun. Got to go, go buy equipment and, you know, kind of dork out on something. Um, and it seems like, I mean, it was funny in Basel, the first time I've seen a lot of people from the art world in one place, like the amount of people that came up to me and mentioned it was like out of control, both like people I knew, but didn't expect would listen to it kind of at the higher end of things. And then just randos just like, Oh, I love your podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's good though. You've got a lot of traction very quickly, which, you know, has got to help. And you've done that in not long, right? You know? Yeah. Well, well, less than a year. I think it was, I don't know, March or April sometime in the, in the spring kind of, it was just the, it was like, so a New York was super fun because everything was shut, but wasn't. So it was all these underground parties and things happening and art exhibits. Um, and things were just reopening. It just seemed like a good way to like get together and kind of wrap it up and wrap our heads around it each day. Yeah. I mean, we were the same, to be honest. I think we were finding that it's actually quite nice to listen to kind of what people are doing and stay up to date and by not seeing people in person, which I think is also going to stay for a long time now, unfortunately. I mean, we're going to see people a little bit more, but we've got used to this like way of working and this new normal, as we keep saying. So we just thought it was a kind of a good idea to um, just sit down and have the kind of usual chats that we've been having in our office. And also just like, you know, when we've been meeting people out and about actually the kind of chats we've been having are, um, I mean I don't want to blow our own trumpets but I think quite interesting so our plan for the podcast is very much the same in the sense that like we're going to play it by ear a little bit but hopefully um, we're going to have some pretty cool guests on we've got some pretty awesome ones lined up over the next few weeks which I know everyone says but I genuinely think we have so hopefully the everyone listening now will will see that as um, episodes slowly get released but what I really don't want is a podcast that speaks about like the history of art or um any of kind of like the really intellectually taxing elements of the art world and kind of knowing everything about the, the works you're looking at because I, I think that's covered and that's definitely not what I want this podcast to be I want it to be free I want it to be easy just you can you know you can drop in for 20 minutes on your daily commute and just listen to something interesting about something that you're either interested or passionate about and very much my plan as well I, I think that was yours right yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was important to me not to to well, Nate, or sorry, not to start an overly serious podcast. You know, I don't want to go into like deep talks about deep dive specific artists. Not because that's not interesting to me, uh, but I think there's a lot of people covering uh, covering that part of the world. Um, and nor do we want to be like strictly focused on the art market, even though that's something I think about a lot. And oftentimes we certainly touch on that in the podcast. Um, for me, it was important that it was about the art world, which is kind of the things in between the art itself and the market. Um, so we touch on all these things, but it's really just really about our social milieu more than anything else. 
Totally. And I think that's exactly what we want this podcast to be like. Very free, just people in the industry talking about what they're doing, how they got to where they are today, and shedding a little bit of light on what's next, because it's hard to keep up. There's, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. And um, that kind of leads me to one of the last questions I want to touch on before I leave you today is what's next for you? Yeah, I mean, I who who the fuck knows, man. Um, but you know, I uh, I um, you know, I also curate shows. Uh, when kind of when the not when the circumstances seem interesting to me, it's not a primary way that I make my money, but it's always kind of fun. The last one I did was actually kind of the summer of the pandemic, so the summer of 2020 at my good friend Joel Messler's uh gallery in what was then his gallery in east hampton and that was super fun uh and i have a project coming up i won't announce too much about it but it'll be coming up in the first quarter of 2022 in mexico city which is one of my absolute favorite favorite art destinations and just destinations and cities in the world uh i'm very involved uh down in dallas uh one of my big clients is on the board of the dallas museum of art and they do a great benefit down there every year called two by two which jointly um, which jointly raises money for AMFAR, which is an important AIDS research charity, as well as the DMA's uh, Contemporary Art Acquisition Fund. So they do a, an amazing auction, uh, and they always honor an artist. This year, it's uh, it's Nara is being honored, and they asked me to do kind of some some selections from their auctions. You can Google up two by two and check out what I think is great from that auction. There's always like incredible deals and incredible things there. Um, and then I'll be getting ready. I, I think my next uh, my next big fair will probably just be in Miami in December. It seems like Miami is kind of coming around pretty quickly, which is quite scary when we've gone through kind of over a year with no fairs and then everything seems to be happening very quickly towards the end of this year with freeze coming up as well, which I know you're coming to. So I'm sure we'll see you um, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, see, see you guys over across the pond, man, for sure. Great. Well, I know you've got a flight to catch, so I won't hold you for too long, but it's been great having you here today. You're our first guest. Um, All very exciting stuff. Plenty of cool guests to follow. And thanks for coming on board and um, sharing what you've kind of been working on with us. So look forward to seeing you very soon. And in the meantime, I'll let you go run for your flight. Thanks for having me, man. I'll see you around. Cheers. Good luck with the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. I think that should just about conclude us for the first episode of Temporary Admission. Now, we will be coming out next week with another episode. We've got some cool guests lined up. I won't reveal who they are just yet, but tune in in about a week or so for episode two, Temporary Admission. And until then, stay safe. Speak soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.